Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world listening to the podcast. I thank you very, very much. My name is Baz. I am your host. And um, the reason that I started off with the, the good morning, good afternoon, good evening is we've been charting pretty well in uh, some different places around the world. We started this podcast thinking it would be popular with, popular in uh, Australia, maybe New Zealand, maybe the UK, but uh, we've, we've popped up on the, uh, the podcast charts in the United Arab Emirates, in Croatia, in Singapore, to name just a few. So that got me thinking, where are you listening to this podcast? Get in touch. Tell us where you are, uh, because we'd love you to be a part of the show. Now, you can do that in various different ways. On the social pages, of course, we are on Facebook. We're on uh, Instagram. Um, you can contact us via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com, and uh, just send us a message and tell us exactly where you are. We'd, we'd love to, uh, to hear that and love to uh, mention you and give you a shout out in the show. Um, we also have a shout out to Ali. Ali is the reason for maritime history today. Uh, Ali, you asked about the uh, the ship that sank in Sydney Harbour back in the 1800s. Chris is very proud to answer that for you in, uh, in a few couple of minutes or so. And uh, Lynn, you got in contact with us to ask about um, what the future of cruising is like on Cunard, particularly because you have uh, a future cruise credit that you want to use, but you're just cautious that you uh, want to be able to use the facilities that you've always used um, on the Cunard ships. So we'll be answering that for you in next episode. So that'll be episode 31, which will air next weekend. Um, so do come back and listen once again to, uh, to to get the answer to that question. Now, if you do have a listener question, please uh, send it to us via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. There's a little button in the top right-hand corner called Join the Show. Click on that and send your question to us, um, and we'll do our best to answer it uh, for you. And that's the same way that you get in touch if you want to leave a cruise review. Um, you uh, just tell us the ship, the itinerary, etc. Then we make a time to uh, have a chat uh, on the interweb, and uh, we can share your cruising experience with our fellow listeners. 
Now, a little thought this week popped into my head because I had some, you know, how Facebook prompts you of some of the things you've done in the past. Well, uh, I had a little photo memory of a cruise that I must have done around about this time a couple of years ago. And it was all of the beautiful Halloween decorations that were all over one of the ships that I just happened to be cruising on at that time. And that got me thinking, you know, the uh, particularly on those big white, the mainstream cruise ships, um, they make a big effort for Halloween and there's lots of effort in the decorations and the theming that goes on. And then, of course, that all changes over to uh, Christmas once Halloween is out of the way. But this uh, next couple of months of the year is traditionally uh, popular for, for celebratory cruises, etc. And uh, I wondered where you would like to be going uh, this time next year. So again, get in touch with us via the social pages or the website. Um, you know exactly uh, where to find us. Now, this uh, week's episode is a little shorter. Pete couldn't join us this week, unfortunately. Um, so today is all about uh, maritime history, talking about the ship that Ali asked about sinking and uh, having been refloated in uh, Sydney Harbour. And then we spend the rest of the show just talking about cruise news. Uh, but uh, lots to share, so I think we'll jump straight to it. Enjoy the show. It's Friday and it's the start of the podcast. So that can only mean one thing, of course, uh, welcoming Chris Frame back to the show. Hey, Chris. Hey, Barry. Nice to be back. Yes, it's uh, it's been a very busy week in, in cruise, actually. Mm. And um, this first part of Maritime History actually came in as a listener question a, a week or so ago. And we said we'd uh, bring it to the top because it's quite an important story that kind of relates to uh, the early days of, of cruising. And uh, it was actually a ship that sank in Sydney Harbour. Tell us more. It was, actually, and it, um, it's a ship that actually led to what was at the time one of the largest engineering efforts ever undertaken in, in Australia um, due to her sinking there. So um, there were a number of different shipping lines that operated um, voyages to Australia as part of the um, line voyages to, to connect the, the Australian colonies with uh, Great Britain. And this story takes place in the 1880s, so it's even before Federation um, of, of Australia as a nation. Uh, and the company that owned this ship was the Orient Line. The ship's name was the Austral, and she was sailing with uh, Orient Line from the United Kingdom through to Australia. And uh, the ship was coal-powered, so um, there was uh, boilers in the lower parts of the ship and people would uh, have to shovel the coal by hand from the coal bunkers into the boilers Uh, and that's all well and good when the ship's underway but when it gets to port it obviously needs to refuel and coaling a ship is not like filling it up with uh, with uh, oil or uh, natural gas like they do today so you know if you're Mm -hmm. on a cruise now you'll see in ports the the bunker ship comes up alongside and uh, it connects up with pipes and it's all you know, you're kept kind of away from it usually on board, but it's pretty clean. Um, you know, you might smell a few fumes, but you don't see any, any yeah. mess or any dirt or anything like that. Coaling a ship was completely different. So the ship would arrive in, say, well, we'll use Sydney as the example because that's where it happened. The ship will arrive in Sydney. The passengers who came out would disembark the mails, which is what these ships were, were carrying a lot of uh, mail from from the United Kingdom around around the world. They would be, uh, it'll be offloaded, mm-hmm. uh, cargoes offloaded, all that sort of thing. And then the ship would be taken out of the harbour, out of the docking area, and it would be moved to another part of the of the harbour for coaling. And this is a very messy, very, very compli- um, long sort of drawn-out process 
where they would bring barges of coal alongside the ship and there were special ports that were built into the ship that could be opened up by um, select people on board that had access to to unlock these ports because they were quite close to the waterline. Um, so you needed to be very careful as to who was opening these things up, as you can imagine. And those um, ports mm-hmm. led down to shafts that went straight into the um, bunkers down in the ship where the coal was kept uh, and it would then be shoveled around from area to area to make sure there was stability and all that sort of thing. So this process is underway. Yeah. Happens all the time, but uh, every now and then there's there's a, you know, something might go might go wrong and they'd have to stop the process and then balance the ship and that sort of thing. On this particular occasion, there was a major incident with Austral. It was in November of um, 1882. As she was being cold, they misjudged the balance of the ship and she started to take on a list. Now, because the um, ports were open, the water was now pouring into the ship, uh, straight down into the um, where the coal is held. Um, and so as a result of this, she starts to sink. And because the ports are open, the ship's now listing, um, it sinks down, but it's quite shallow water. So it actually ended up resting on the um, uh, ground on um, this, the, the, the bed of the, um, of the harbour there. So you have this remarkable um, view, I suppose, of this ship. And all you can see is the masts and the two funnels sticking up out of the water. The rest of it's submerged. Now, oh, wow. That's, you know, pretty, yeah, exactly. So, you know, from an onlooker's perspective and the newspapers at the time were, were, were running pictures of this and, and you can imagine it was quite a spectacle. Now, you might think, well, what are they going to do with this ship? Now, she wasn't that old. She'd only been in service for a year. Uh, and so they made the decision to, to raise her. But that was a really complicated thing to do in the 1880s. I mean, it would be complicated to do it now. Um, and in order to do yeah. this, they had to, yeah, I mean, just thinking about raising a ship when it's submerged and it's not only submerged, it's full of coal as well. So it's a very um, tricky thing to do. Mm-hmm. So they actually actually had to get um, specialist engineers who were working with um, various materials in order to build what they refer to as a coffer dam, which is basically they put this sort of dam structure around the ship, which then made there be sort of a watertight barrier between the main harbour and where Austria was sitting and then they pumped the water out, were able to then repair like repair the ship, close up the, the ports, make sure that the hull was all right. And then as they slowly put the water back in, she was able to raise back up um, and be refloated. So that's um, obviously a, a monumental undertaking that I'm, I'm paraphrasing very quickly. There's a lot more to the story than that. Yeah. You can actually find some yeah, amazing yeah. firsthand accounts um, in old newspapers, which you can access um online through Trove, which is a, um, an Australian archive, uh, government archive of, of, old, um, of old newspapers from the time. Um, and it was, you know, it's one of these engineering feats that they were able to do this in the, in the pre-Federation days, you know, to, to orchestrate and coordinate something like that. Um, and it gained a lot of praise from, uh, from the press and the media, not just in, um, in Sydney, but also back in Britain. They were very impressed that this had been undertaken, and Orient Line itself was um, sort of thrown into the spotlight because they were able to to raise the Austral and put her back into service. And, and sure enough, she did. She started uh, sailing again and, and remained with the company um, after that incident. So, uh, thanks so much for the listener question. It's a, it's a great thing. I mean, we we wrote about it uh, a little bit in our 
in our Orient Line book, which he worked on with Rob Henderson and Doug Kramer, who are who are two very well known um, Orient okay, Line, yeah, yep. yeah Orient Line historians. You, you may have met them, but they, they do the lecture circuit as well when when cruising is um, when cruising is underway. Um, but uh, but again, for for just listeners around the world, you can see the some information in the book, but also you can find it online um, by searching for Austral on Trove. Incredible! If uh, if that was today, obviously it'd be all over social media. Mm. Um, but uh, it's in the the archives of uh, the the history vaults, of course. Yes, I mean that's so so interesting to think. I mean, they actually do have some photos um, that survive um, <laughs> in the newspapers that you can see. I mean, obviously they've been the, the originals have been digitally scanned in, but um, yeah, the 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 pictures of the ship with with just the just the two funnels and the two masts. Um, is something that is re- remarkable to see and to think that the, that the ship actually was raised up again uh, and then went back into service. It, it makes you, I mean, even today, you would you would wonder whether or not they would be able to raise a ship and how they would get it back going again, but to do it in 1882, uh, quite a feat. Yeah, exactly. Now, now, staying in a similar vein, before we jump into cruise news, uh, talking of another rescue, mm. um, we heard, obviously, uh, last weekend's uh, Carnival Sensation. Even though it was uh, paused in its operations, it uh, did a, a little rescue mission for some people that were stranded off the coast. Yeah, so that's um, some, you know, that's that uh, wonderful seafaring tradition that uh, the cruise lines and, and all um, seafarers adhere to, is to go to the aid of those in distress. Um, and Sensation, it's a fantasy class ship. Um, she went off to to the rescue. Um, it was about sixty kilometers or so from where she was positioned, so she was able to make her way out there and, and conduct a successful rescue. And this isn't unusual for cruise ships. We we've heard many stories in the past of cruise ships that have gone to the aid of um, of uh, of sailors at sea or people who are in distress. But also, uh, you quite often will find that the cruise ships. Um, will go to the aid of places that are maybe threatened by hurricanes or cyclones and that sort of thing as well. As well, so they definitely are yeah. uh, in that respect good um, corporate and um, social citizens. Thank you to the the limited crew because obviously there are very few uh, crew on board, given that there's no passengers. Mm. But uh, they they rescued those 24 people and got them safely back to shore, which is very good news indeed. Now uh, let's move straight Great into news. Uh, cruise news. Um, Royal Caribbean had a bold announcement this week for 2021 and the 2022 cruise season. Yes, so we've spoken a bit about what they were planning to do in Australia before, but they've upped their game even further now. So not only are they having two of their Quantum-class ships, which is Quantum of the Seas and Ovation of the Seas, and we've seen Ovation here in Australian waters in past cruise seasons. She's one of the second largest class of ships that they have at RCI after the Oasis class, and it has all sorts of remarkable amenities, including the um, Bionic Bar, where the um, computerized um, yeah. electronic arms do the do the cocktails for you rather than uh, having a human and also there's um uh, it's like the northern star on, on ovation i'm not sure if it has the same name on some of the other ships but it's this big sort of pod that goes into the air and lets you have a 360 view from the ship but the yep. other quantum ships have that as well um, but they're also bringing serenade of the seas um, to Australia as well. And she's a Radiance-class ship, so not so long ago was the largest class of ships within RCI, but things have just gotten so yeah. big there now. Um, <laughs> and she's a lovely ship, beautiful design and um, a very elegant-looking ship. And uh, they'll be doing cruises out of Brisbane and Sydney with their their trio. 
Yeah, that's right. And now staying in Australia, we had a, a double whammy of news here shared between Princess Cruises transferring the Golden and Star Princess over to PO Australia. What's happening? Mm. Yeah, so Golden Princess and Star Princess have both been allocated to come across to PO Australia for a while now. Um, and in fact, in another universe, an alternate universe perhaps, um, I would be on board um, the Golden Princess right now as Pacific Adventure doing her maiden voyage. So she was supposed to sail from Singapore. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. It was so sad. And actually, funnily enough, even though everything had been cancelled and the flights had been cancelled, I, I um, got a notification on the Qantas app that I needed to check in for my flight the other day. And I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe the app doesn't quite realize what's been happening this year. Um, but um, <laughs> sure enough, she would have been on her way here and would have made her way into Darwin and then onwards to, to Brisbane and Sydney. But um, that would have been the Golden Princess then entering service as um, Pacific Adventure. And the Star Princess was scheduled to come uh, at the end of next year um, across here as the Pacific Encounter. Um, but this has all been changed now. And so a Pacific uh, Adventures Maiden Voyage has been delayed, but Pacific Encounters Maiden Voyage has been brought forward. Um, and in 2021, with their big restart they're planning, they'll have both ships in service, um, the Adventure on the 30th of April and the Encounter from the 7th of May. So um, P&O Australia will be a three-ship fleet um, because you'll still have Pacific Explorer in the fleet. Um, so sort of a bit of a, a reset to what, the fleet number was before the pause, but with bigger ships because, of course, uh, Pacific Dawn uh, and uh, Pacific Aria have left the fleet, but they were much smaller than than the uh, grand class yeah. ships, the Golden and uh, Star Princess. So it'd be great to have them here, and it's going to be exciting to see them in service next year. Yeah, no, again, very good news for, for everybody. Now, we're going to stay close to our shores, just heading up to Asia briefly. Mm. Um, Star Clipper have made an announcement that we'll see the Star Clipper uh, moving from Asia, where it's been for quite some time now. Yeah, and look, I don't think we can really talk about Star Clipper without just mentioning what a unique ship she is. Um, built in yeah. the nine, well, 1990, I think it was, that she came into service. She is a tall ship, a clipper ship, and in fact was the first... Um, ship of that style that class built um the clipper there um since around i think it was around about 1912 the same year as titanic sank um, from memory so oh, wow. uh, a big gap obviously it's a very old um and and tried and true design but a unique ship because she just looks so different she operates differently and she's got the beautiful big sails there um and she's been um having you know voyages in asia but will then be moving in 2022 over to the mediterranean to focus on on cruising there um and if my memory serves me correctly before she was in asia she actually did used to focus on the mediterranean because i'm about 99.9 percent sure that i stood on the aft decks of the qe2 and watched her sail past us um during the qe2 farewell <laughs> seasons in 2008 i think i've got pictures of that as well actually so um Oh wow. Yeah, back to the med and uh, a new season for her and a remarkable and unique ship for people to try out. That's right. She was always in the med and uh, she used to then reposition down just for like other ships do for other cruise lines. Mm. For the northern winter, she would head down to Asia and then go back up again for the, the summers. But for the last oh, at least six, possibly longer years, she's been alternating between cruises out of Phuket um, Singapore and Bali, but um, mm. they've decided that the demand is in, in the Med and in Europe, so uh, she'll be heading back long-term, which is uh, interesting. She's one of those ships where I think wherever she goes, she'll get an a attention because she's pretty much one of a kind. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, no, she is. 
Now, um, Holland America have made a, a bold statement regarding Alaska for 2021. They're mm. going to put six ships and six of their newer big ships in Alaska. Yes, uh, very much so. And, um, you know, Holland America's got a long history in Alaska um, and has been sort of instrumental in developing that market. And, in fact, the company has... Um, it, uh, what is referred to, I think, is as grandfather rights, so they're able to access yeah. certain areas in Alaska that, um, like Glacier Bay, for example, that other cruise lines, some other cruise lines can't get can't get access to to being up close to the action quite as much as Hal can. So that's um, an exciting and, and interesting reason why people might choose to, to sail with Holland America. But yes, they're having a number of different ships um, of their um, various new classes, which is which is interesting to see. Uh, as well as some older ships, there's six of them, in fact, going across um, to do the Alaskan season. Um, and they'll be doing sailings out of both Seattle or Vancouver. So you'll have multiple options as where you can depart, um, going up as far as um, visiting ports such as Anchorage as well. So you get um, to see up and close in, in Glacier Bay, you get to go across to um, look at the, the ice flows there in Alaska and then even take in um, a an Alaskan port or two. So a remarkable experience, I think, and particularly with a company that has been so um, experienced with cruising in Alaska. Yeah. And little people know that uh, Holland America employ over three, three and a half thousand people in Alaska for that summer season. So they've, mm. they've certainly got a strong foothold there. And uh, for those people that want to know which ships will be there, it will be the Eurodam, sorry, the Eurodam, the Koningsdam, the New Amsterdam, the Nordam, the Oosterdam, and the Volendam for 2021 in Alaska. I think Volendam is the only one out of those ones that's from the the older, smaller classes. I think the rest of them are all um, yeah. of the new signature or uh, Vista classes. So uh, a big presence there with big ships. Exactly. Now let's stay with the Holland America family, um, Seabourn being one of their sister brands. Mm-hmm. Um, they have announced that Seabourn Venture, uh, destinations mm. when she is launched in 21 and 22. Yes. So Seabourn Venture is an interesting one because she's an expedition ship for Seabourn. And Seabourn's sort of known as the sort of luxury super yacht company. But in recent years, they've actually replaced many of their smaller ships with with bigger um seaborne ships custom built of course um mm-hmm. and then now they're bringing in this this smaller one which is a bit more akin to the size and scale of um perhaps the seaborne goddesses that they used to have some years ago um and she's going to be operating these expedition voyages now the ship itself the seaborne venture has a um, p6 pc6 polar class hull which gives her the ability to cruise where some other ships cannot go um, and she's also carrying a, a whole heap of, um, you know, specialized amenities, including Zodiac boats and that sort of thing. Now, she'll be doing um, voyages of uh, between 10 um, days and two weeks um, in the Norwegian area. Uh, so she'll be doing the Norwegian fjords. She'll be doing voyages for the Northern Lights. Um, but she's also going to be taking in um, calls at Copenhagen. So not not just sticking to Norway, but keeping that Northern European um, area there. Uh, for this particular ship and those will be um, departing from 2021 in november yeah that's right um and if people are particularly interested in seaborne venture on episode 27 just about three episodes or so mm. ago um we actually spoke with robin west who was the uh, vice president of expedition operations 
And uh, Hito spoke quite a bit about Seaborn Ventures. So if you're interested in that kind of style of ship and what she will be doing, uh, check out episode 27. Now, let's stay with expedition ships as yep. well. Um, Swan Hellenic, we spoke about these briefly a couple of weeks ago, yep. but they've had another announcement this week. Yeah, they're obviously, because, you know, Swan Hellenic's a, a, a re, um, I guess a reboot um, of, a, yep. of an old favorite. Um, and they've been busy working on, um, first it was one, now then it was two, now it's three um, ships of what they call the Ve- uh, Vega class. It's their new class of um, polar class ships. Um, and so these ones, again, will be expedition ships, um, 190 or so passengers, 192 passengers in total. Um, so quite small, quite exclusive, but three all coming online um, close to each other, all, all being committed to, which is quite um, a you know reassuring move from what is essentially a new cruise line that's that's um, re- reinvigorating an old an old name. Yeah, and it's incredible. I was doing a bit of research, and I think I counted five, possibly six new cruise lines that are kind of bubbling away in the background, mm. waiting to make their their appearance. And all of this is happening in a time where no cruises are actually operating. Yeah. So. <laughs> there's going to be some exciting new brands emerging it's not just new ships that are being built as well but like with the um with the movement and and the sale of certain ships I mean, we've seen um you know last week you you spoke to matthew about oceana and from p&o yep. she's moved across to what was a, a greek ferry operator that's now buying up uh, cruise ships which you can only imagine are going to be put into service doing some form of cruising operations and stuff so there's mm-hmm. there's all sorts of opportunities coming out of what is a very strange time and i think the you know the industry will look quite quite different um on the other on the other side of this because of all that yeah absolutely now um we're going to head over to Europe next, um, MSC, which is mm. obviously a, quite a popular line for the European market and also mm. for the Australians here. Um, they've uh, just announced a further enhancement um, in their uh, advances against COVID, which will be coming out on their, their newest ship. Yes. So, you know, there was a lot of talk um, before the, well, during the early stages of the cruise shutdown about the air quality on board cruise ships and comparing it, you know, you see it in the media, it was comparing cruise ship and hotels and resorts to what's done on aircraft where they run all the air through through very high grade filters um, and so mm-hmm. um, the seashore here is going to be getting um, special air treatment services on board air filters i suppose you can refer to them as um, so they're uv lamps that are used for this I'm, again i'm not a I'm not a engineer, so please bear with me. This is how I understand it. If you understand it better, please write in and give us a better, better description. Um, but basically, it's referred to as type C ultraviolet treatment. So what it does is that the, the air gets treated as it gets recycled throughout the ship or brought in and, and, um, and, and, and treated. Um, and this particular type of light um, can help to kill things like viruses and, and bacteria and that sort of thing. So um, the ship itself seashorts of the latest class of msc ships the the biggest class of ships that they have in their fleet and now she's going to have this um, air treatment service which i think people have been kind of expecting that cruise lines would be would be looking at since um since the covid shutdown started yeah no exactly and um in the same sort of covid vein um we spoke about this uh, clean coat system or probably mm. A good month or so ago when we were talking about Lindblad and them being the yes. first ocean-going vessels that were implementing this new system. Yep. And uh, Uniworld, which is a, a pioneering river cruise operator, has followed this same technology to use on the river. Just remind us what it is, though. Yeah, so this is a bit um, 
a bit different from what we were just speaking about. And it's a, it's more of a surface cleaning um, system. But what I thought was really interesting, so I, I did a little bit of further, further looking into this just to try and get my head around it a bit better. So from what I understand, there's an annual coating of surfaces that's done with this special um, sort of mixture that, that, that they've created. Um, and then your, the crew on board who are doing the cleaning, they clean the surfaces with a salt-based water um, that has you know, elements to it that is activated by that coating. So you have the annual coating and then you clean it with a, spe- a specific type of solution and that activates all of the, the, the elements inside that, that make the, the cleaning more effective, I suppose. So um, again, please, if there's any um, scientists in the room, in the room um, <laughs> and you can do a better job at explaining that, do, do write in because I know Barry likes taking um, listener comments, but um, that, is, uh, that is basically my understanding of how, how it works, although the physics behind it, I'm not too sure exactly. Yeah, no, I think you pretty pretty much explained it the same way that I did. I watched a similar video as well, and mm. just incredible that you know a bit of saline water, in effect, basically re-energizes enzymes, for want of a better Enzyme, word, yeah. that um, that keep the the ship clean, and it just eliminates the whole use of a whole array of chemicals that um, one may not be good for for the environment and the the plastic that is used for them, but also yeah. the staff that use it love it because they're they're having to deal with less toxic. Um, chemicals whilst oh, in the, yes, of course, the, yeah. the, the daily routine so it's it's an incredible product and i wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot more cruise lines taking this on and maybe even resorts and theme parks and other places as well mm. you know it's interesting um, barry because you know with um with the the crew shut down and with the videos and the negative media and stuff i mean i don't want to dwell on dwell on the negative too much but we have i have seen quite a lot of comments from people who like to use the um the line that they're sort of floating petri dishes and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. but they're really not. If you've been on um, on a cruise um, with a reputable brand, you can see that the ships are consistently being cleaned um, and being and being looked after. And of course, if there's any sort of um, outbreak of things like uh, norovirus and stuff, it's always reported much more from cruise ships than it is on land based because they they you know they're big visible um, things that people people would like to to focus on. But when you think back to history. I mean, like we're looking back at the days of the Austral, for example, to sort of bring this into full circle. I mean, yep. in the 1880s, there wasn't running running water on board many of the ships. They didn't have private bathroom facilities on many of the ships. Many of the ships still didn't have, um, you know, electricity. They didn't have access to um, refrigeration. So they were carrying cows and chickens and pigs and stuff on board. Um, that is um, unhygienic by today's standards, as you can imagine. And today, <laughs> now we've got these sort of, salt-based cleaning um, solutions that can be applied and and it's remarkable and 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 filters and stuff to filter air so the industry is definitely moving in the in the right direction yeah no it is couldn't agree more now um, you always put up a video every week i'm sure there'll be one Mm. if not out already coming out at some stage over the weekend what's the the theme this week just uploaded actually it's um following along the theme of videos on the ships that transformed um different brands oh yep and today, well, this week we're looking at um, the Oriana and the Aurora. Oriana, oh, yeah. of course, has left the P&O fleet, but Aurora is still a member of the fleet. And those two ships basically helped transform P&O cruisers um, from a, a smallish um, operation of, uh, you know, re- uh, repurposed ocean liners to a major force for cruising in the British uh, in the British market because this is P&O UK we're talking about. 
Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, remarkable ships unto their own right, the first that were built specifically for cruising in the UK market from a complete um, blank sheet of paper. So um, lots of fans of those two ships. They are unique and remarkable ships, and hopefully people will enjoy the video. Yeah, I've cruised on Aurora myself. I actually mm. really like her. She's got a really nice flow to her passenger areas and you know that traditional but also modern twist to it as well it, it's, yeah, she, even she, even today she's very very well looked after what's interesting is that they because oriana was first and then aurora came on online second so aurora was kind of like an up, up upgraded version i suppose of oriana they tried to make some improvements but when they were designing oriana they they had he and i had a ship called canberra which had been with them oh, yeah. for for years and years people will remember canberra she was very famous um and she she was an old an old ocean liner that had been repurposed as a cruise ship, but there were some things about her that people just absolutely loved, and so they had to work in a modern cruise ship with that the elements of Canberra that people wanted to keep, and also it had to be tailored to the British market. So you'll find with Aurora and Oriana, they they have smaller public rooms, but there's there's more of them, so there's many more little bars and lounges and areas to sit around because that was something that was carried on from Canberra, and also people in the British market seem to really like that. Um, and signature rooms that P&O now has across their entire fleet, such as um, the Crow's Nest Bar, for example, the big observation bar mm-hmm. on top of the ship with the forward-facing view, that was a room on Canberra. Um, so, oh, wow. you know, there's still some elements of, of the, the old ocean liners that have been carried through by having these sort of traditional spaces included on the P&O fleet. Um, and so that was, of course, then carried on to Aurora. And then Aurora herself was the last ship ever built by the last cruise ship passenger ship ever built by the peninsula and oriental steam navigation company because she was built and then in 2003 the cruising arm was sold to carnival and the rest of it was sold to dubai so um a unique ship in her own right yeah yeah and always a fountain of knowledge so we'll be putting <laughs> that uh, link to youtube channel on on the show notes of course um chris it is always a pleasure to have you and uh, we look forward to uh, speaking with you again next week thanks everyone take care Thank you for listening and thanks for being a part of this podcast. Um, as we mentioned at the start of the show, if you want to get in touch, you can do so via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. And um, of course, you have our social pages where you can also reach out and like and, and share some of our content as well. Now, we're enhancing the, the, the listener kind of engagement. We're allowing you to be uh, become more of a supporter, more of a sponsor. And I'm sure you've heard of things like Patreon in the past where you can uh, pay a small subscription and receive additional benefits. Um, we have gone down that path as well, and we have a page with uh, Buy Me A Coffee. Uh, you're not buying a, a real coffee. It's a, a virtual gesture, um, like just shouting you made a coffee in the local coffee shop. And there are three ways you can support. You can buy a one-off coffee, a one-off virtual coffee, of course, for about four Aussie dollars, uh, £2.20 or €2.40. Um, you can do a monthly subscription, which uh, basically uh, allows you to get even more uh, bonus content. And uh, that's uh, 10 Aussie dollars a month or about $5, sorry, £5.40 or about €6 Euros or so. Or you can become an annual sponsor as well. Now, I don't want to bang on about it too much. All the details are on our website. Uh, but I do want to shout out to the first person that did buy us a coffee. That was Staples underscore Sam. And for that, we are very, very grateful. Moving forward for every... Uh, supporter we receive on uh, buy me a coffee we will do a shout out at the end of every show and we'll also include a mention in, um, in the social pages as well so if you want to uh, be a part you want supporters and you want to help keep us on air 
and just cover those costs that we have for, for keeping this podcast going. Uh, just that small little gesture there would be greatly appreciated. Now, have a great week, folks. We'll be back in your ears next week, and uh, we always really appreciate everybody that listens and everybody that likes and shares this uh, podcast, which is the Big Cruise Podcast. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.